You are listening to the Antler VC Cast. We are your hosts. I am Yusti Salavara and I'm the co-founder and managing partner of Antler. I am Pooja Barwani, the marketing director of Antler. In this series, we feature stories of exceptional people who are playing a key role in building and shaping the next wave of tech and the way it is integrated into all we do. We take a look at the transformation that is taking place in an increasingly global and digital world. We will talk about innovation, building and scaling startups, mistakes they made, pivots they navigated through and lots more. We want to know their story, how they did it, the challenges they faced and how they overcame them. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Antler VC Cast. Today we have with us Abhishek Gupta, founder and CEO of Circles Life, a mobile virtual network provider that is disrupting the telecommunications space. Since its launch in 2016, it has rapidly grown in the telco space in Singapore. They operate as a digital telco, meaning the only support channels available to its customers are live chat and email. Today we talk about the ideation process, customer acquisition, and using different marketing tactics. Welcome to the show. So today we're going to talk about Circles Life. Let's start. Abhishek, by tell us a bit about yourself. That's a, that's a really broad and open question, and <laughs> I, I'm struggling with where I should begin. Uh, so look, <laughs> there I was in my mother's fallopian tube, and <laughs> no, let's let's start perhaps with Circles, since you, since you introduced me as Circles founder. Uh, Circle started uh, six years ago. This is 2013 end, uh, and I was working as a private equity professional, uh, buying companies, selling them, looking at uh, the various business models that exist, uh, not just for telco but many other industries. And I remember feeling this sense of frustration, the sense of uh, going from Singapore to Indonesia, landing there, and only to be faced with these 20 options for SIM cards, and all of them were like, "All right, 50 GB for this much data, 10 GB for this much money." And I remember thinking, I was utterly confused. I land back in Singapore and I was supposed to get this new iPhone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I drive down to StarHub, wait in a queue for an hour. I get to the front of the queue and the person who was, uh, you know, the phone I asked for, they tell me, you know what, you just lost out. This last person who was behind you, or rather ahead of you uh, in the queue, she took that exact phone. I'm like, well, that doesn't help me. And, you know, here I am giving you thousands of dollars. And there isn't any industry in the world where you want to give thousands of dollars. You wait in a queue for an hour and you line up and you stay on the phone for 20 minutes for customer service and you end up with such a bad experience. So I know you asked me about me, mm. but uh, <laughs> you know, the, um, so much of a, what a founder is becomes so much about what the company is, uh, especially when you've done it for the last six, seven years. So that's how Circle started. And uh, my own background, before that I was doing consulting with McKinsey here in Southeast Asia and doing private equity work with Bain Capital and then Stanchart. But through all of this, there was a strong connection with technology. There was a strong connection with looking at businesses, thinking about how customers perceive businesses. And that's something I truly enjoy. I've always loved it. Um, and that's how Circle started through uh, my as well as my co-founders' frustration with the telco world, mm. Mm. and realizing that um, things could be so much better. And let's let's remember this was a time when Uber had just started; it was just two years in. Yeah. And our own uh, sense of what is a good product, what is a good experience, was getting shaped uh, on on a pretty real time basis. You know, you may start with something very basic, and the product improves, and you feel like, why isn't the telco world moving in the same direction? Why aren't things improving at that pace? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's when, in late 2013, early 14, is when uh, when the idea for Circles came about. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, I'm like a mother who can only talk about her child. So that's that's so here <laughs> I am. You know, you asked me about me, but I'm talk all I can talk about is Circles. And no, I just, that's great. It's, uh, but it's one of the most traditional industries in the world. So I think uh, hats off to you for you know pushing the disrupted. Um, you know, I, I remember you once told me that, uh, you had this kind of ideation process in the beginning. You had a f- several different options of, you know, what type of business to build, uh, before landing on, you know, t- trying to solve this, uh, frustration of yours. Yes. Um, you know, can you tell a bit about, you know, how you got together with your co-founders and how that initial sort of path went until you then led to, until it led to, to actually start circles? Sure, sure. I think, um, 
Uh, it's the path actually started way earlier in some ways. Uh, I remember meeting Ramiz in the year 2004. Mm-hmm. And 2004, we were going for the same job interviews. And that's how I actually got to know my, co- my co-founder in 2014. Oh. I got to know him like 10 years oh. before that. <laughs> you know, what Which one of you uh, won? Like, uh, <laughs> who, who got the job? <laughs> well, he went to BCG. Ah. I went to okay. McKinsey. So clearly he didn't. Well, that's a whole other story. <laughs> he, he went no, no, for no, the B class. He went for the B class. Yeah. But I mean, jokes aside, he started actually in consulting slightly before me. So I guess he got the job. But, uh, uh, but you know, I got to know him since then and we became good friends along the way and we would discuss uh, many things about how businesses should be run. We talked about uh, not necessarily just telcos, but we spoke about the how technology businesses were changing because he made the choice to go from consulting into starting a... Uh, an accelerator. This is back in the year 2010 when mm. there were no accelerators, Never, yeah. right? And this was one of the first few. Uh, so, you know, we were, in, uh, we were t- talk from time to time about what running an accelerator is like. And uh, I was always fascinated because coming out of consulting, uh, for me, the biggest thing was you start to work in the investment space because those are the kind of projects I enjoyed the most. And here he was, uh, went from consulting to investment to accelerators. Mm. There was always this discussion around, you know, what is happening in the world. To me, the best possible job was to be the world's best possible investor. And there was nothing like pretty much unidimensional, frankly. Mm. And then as I spoke to him and some of my other friends, it became apparent that the world was changing in a, in a much more uh, unpredictable way, if you will. Mm. And one of the early measures was, where do some of the best students actually want to work after they finish university? Mm-hmm. Where do graduates from, you know, a Wharton or a Harvard mm-hmm. or a Stanford would like to work, which used to be a private equity shop, say, 10 years ago. And now people talk about starting their own company, being a mm-hmm. product manager yeah. at Amazon. So that shift, as it started to happen, I think I was becoming more and more aware mm-hmm. of the changes in the world. And uh, here's someone I really trusted, uh, a close friend of mine over the last 10 years. And through him, I remember meeting uh, Adil, my third co-founder, uh, I think about a year before we formally got together to start the company and came across as a very genuine person, someone who understood the space very well. So unlike Ramiz and I, Adil had actually done telco work for over 15 years. Mm. Okay. And uh, that was helpful because I looked at it as an investor. Mm-hmm. Ramiz looked at it as what it takes to start a company. Mm-hmm. And Adil looked at it from the point of view of how the industry itself works and the ins and outs of that. So it was a pretty interesting mix. And uh, we were very happy to challenge each other. We were very happy to question each other's judgments as well as uh, assumptions about things, which was very healthy. Because yeah. uh, So that's kind of was a starting point. Uh, and we all faced the same frustrations around being, uh, you know, dealing with telcos. But there were many solutions out there. And some solutions were, for example, the first one that we started with was to have and this is going to sound like not an innovation at all, by the way, but uh, but I'm going to share with you. Back then, it yeah. felt like an innovation. You could pick the... So instead of making international calls using GSM, we thought, why don't we have an app that allows you to make international calls from your app to the other app, okay. which is uh, your WhatsApp calling, by the way, yeah, which yeah. Not, may not yeah. surprise you at all. So we started on that in late 2013. And uh, I think around mid-2014, WhatsApp got sold for some $18 billion. And I think a week later, some 50 people released an app, which was similar to that. And yeah. our business idea was, you know, out mm-hmm. the window. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we started to say, look, this was not so much about calling. What we were really solving with that was to figure out uh, a pain point that people of our demographic had, the three yeah. founders. So we had folks back home in India, and they, b- b- both of them are from Pakistan. So if you wanted to make a phone call, it would cost you $20, $30 every time. And that mm-hmm. made no sense. And you could do it totally through this. And not, not everyone had Skype. And Skype was a product mm-hmm. that had essentially stopped yeah. innovating a few years before that. So the idea was to start that. But the whole point was to help customers feel three very specific things. Firstly, a sense of transparency. Because you don't know what happens uh, when with the telcos as well. You know, your bill could be $100 one month. And next month, it could be 50 And you don't know why, really. So a sense mm-hmm. of transparency. A sense of control. Because if you have control over things, as you did in the case of Uber or some of the other products, you actually felt much happier about it. Mm -hmm. Transparency, control, and the third one was around delight. How do you surprise them? Mm -hmm. And which which should reflect in uh, the net promoter score for for a service. So we noticed a a very distinct thing, actually. Uber had net promoter score of uh, between 40 to 50, and I think went up to 60, 70 amongst his early adopters. Okay. Let me ask you this, yeah. and uh, you might know this, uh, but you know, uh, because you've, you've looked at telcos mm. quite a bit before, yeah. 
But guess what the net, net promoter score for telcos was back in the year 2013-14? Just guess. I'll let Pooja guess. It's really low. low. <laughs> as well. Well, I think because I'm asking, so you kind of yeah. know it's very yeah, low, yeah. but it ne- was negative. 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 No, negative. Yes, it was yeah. negative. People were detractors. Oh my but God. here's the thing. This is an industry which has more detractors than promoters and people are detractors yet stuck. It's like being in a jail. You can't do mm. much about it. You're just stuck there. Because there's no other option. There's no other option. Monopoly, an, so. Yes, exactly. And that's what the idea was. How could you actually provide more options mm-hmm. to customers, more transparency, more sense of control, and that delight would hopefully get them to get other friends onto our network. That was mm. the thinking. So, you know, we went from being just an app for calling to let's let's offer people, um, we thought, well, how about just general Wi-Fi calling? What if everyone yeah. had a phone? Yeah. Instead of a SIM card, you could just call each other using Wi-Fi. And we realized the second thing was customers didn't really care about calling as much. Okay. And the ones who were most likely to be our customers, the digital data savvy consumers, they were the ones who would do anything but call you. They would rather mm. message, mm. you know. Yep. So hence, it didn't make sense to come up with a calling solution. So it had to be a solution which dealt with their... And then if you think about, you know, think about transparency and control, the biggest issues that people had with the telcos was around you get a bill shock. Yeah. Or you're roaming somewhere and you, you know, just to actually f- uh, figure out how much you had to pay, say, for example, in Indonesia, you would have to call someone and that call would cost you $30 to figure out what the rate was in Indonesia, right? I mean, I don't yeah. know if this happened no, no, to you guys. But it's, you can't even get through most of the time to correct, figure it out correct. change so, your plan or… <laughs> oh, yeah. So there are many such issues. So I think that was kind of the genesis. So, you know, yeah. a little bit of own struggles realizing what we initially started couldn't be done because mm-hmm. of market changes mm-hmm. then realizing that what we're really trying to solve is you know customer pain points and so much changing in the world mm-hmm. and at the same time uh, there were a few other things happening in the telco world which allowed us to come up with this model but i'll save it for later perhaps <laughs> too long so, so you yeah. pivoted over as you ideated and things around you kept changing that's right that's right i think pretty much like most startups i yeah. think yeah so so you went through that journey definitely but what really strikes me is the boldness because like, you know, many startups start with some incremental service and then we test it out and we build on that. But you're basically saying, here's a fucked up, uh, you know, industry where like people are in jail. You know, every provider right now is, is messed up. Let's fundamentally yeah. transform this. And I think I, that's, that, I, that's fascinating. I think, yeah. I mean, what the transparency control delight bit and is, is, is what really stands out. But. Why don't you tell the listeners what I what you eventually came up with, which I yeah. think is pretty phenomenal in terms of you not you should tell us exactly how you run this what they call um you know uh mobile virtual network provider. Yes. What does that mean? <laughs> so um actually we have banned that word <laughs> at circles oh. because I'll tell you why. Because uh there are uh let's put it this way. Uh we are making a Ferrari uh-huh. and uh uh, uh, a basic model at Toyota is also called a car. So we no longer call ourselves a car. We call, call ourselves a sports car. So okay. just as you, so, but okay. that's fine. So. I, I'm glad that you're talking about this because, uh, the industry has had a model before where, uh, players like us or players who purport to be like us would not own towers and spectrum. Yeah. 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 They would buy the backend IT infrastructure or they would leverage the IT infrastructure of a telco to just offer end consumers a SIM card. And that SIM card may be uh, given to a very specific subsegment of the broader market, which may be, say, travelers from Japan, for example, or construction workers from India, for example, or, you know, Chinese travelers or something like that. And that model is largely price-driven. And that model is largely about uh, the, the only value that you deliver to customers is not about transparency, control, or delight the only value you're talking about is dollars, which is not about transparency or control or delight. I mean, there is some delight part that comes from the dollars part, but uh, that that we believe is a segment. We just felt like that's not a segment that is uh, defensible in the long run. And that's not a segment where you need technology to do it. And that that story has played out. It started in two th- early 2000 and died pretty much. Or you, know, you still see some of those kind of players. What we did at Circles is, if you look at the entire value chain of, of, of a telco, you have tower spectrum, you have this big mishmash of technology with about 50 to 70 different systems. Provision your SIM card, direct your calls, direct your SMS. You know, there's a lot of stuff that happens, 50 to 70 systems. Then you have the shops, customer service, and then you have the customer. We took everything that sits above the towers and spectrum 
and essentially built it from scratch using technology and made sure that there's no human element involved anymore. That means instead of having shops, it should be through e-commerce. Instead of having customer service through the normal call system, it should be through chat, which can be replaced by you know, bots in the future. Instead of having someone type in your port in number, let's just say you're porting your number from Singtel, for example, to Circles, right now, a lot of places, they fill it out or fill out a physical mm-hmm. form, and, you know, none of that. Basically, if you have your information, you press a button, it all just flows through and just ports your number over. So all of that stuff uh, is, is a new way of doing it, and that's the real digital part, where you put all of this technology in this box. It took us three and a half years to create it, and for those three and a half years, we didn't have a single dollar of revenue, by the way, which is another story by, in <laughs> itself. And that's something startups struggle with. But anyway, we'll come back to that. Three and a half years of building that, and we took that technology, put it in the cloud. And that is the digital part of the mobile virtual network operators. Mm-hmm. Typically, mobile MVNOs would not have that in the cloud. They would just take it from the telcos. The benefit of having that in the cloud is a few things. We control that technology. And that means we can actually... Uh, change the products we have on a very short notice. On an hourly basis, I can change product. I can add many things to it. Uh, say payment gateways, if I want to change distribution partners, if I want to provide other services, be it financial services. We started this thing in Singapore. Would love for you guys to try it. It's called the polling game. Okay. It's really taken off. And especially in these times when people are cooped up at, at their yeah, homes, yeah. like really frivolous sounding questions around, you know, do you like white color tables or black color tables? But you know, people love playing it. And some 12 million questions have been answered in Singapore. Can you believe it? Wow. Like in a, in a small place like Singapore. And you can do all of those things because you control the technology. Okay. So it's the control of technology that has allowed us to provide much better customer experience. And coming back to the point on NPS, we are delivering NPS of positive 50. So the, the initial hypothesis has played out. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm going. Uh, so no, okay. So yeah. no store presence. Yeah. And this whole your whole your engagement with your customer is purely digital. Yep. Yeah. Think of it as like how, how Uber or Netflix would do it. Just yeah. as there's no physical touch point. But so. how how do you delight the customer and and how and it's real time. Yeah. And then how and don't you do you have customers who complain? So like every company, we do have uh, customers who are, otherwise our net promoter score would be 100. Yeah. And the way they calculate it is they would ask, uh, say, a few thousand people, uh, do you, would you promote this to your friends? And if it's on a scale of 1 to 10. Yeah. If it's 9 or 10, it's counted as a plus 1. If it's uh, 6, 7, or 8, uh, it's counted as 0. It's, if it's 1 to 5, it's counted as negative 1. So... The highest so net promoter score. Super good. Yeah. That's the point. So if, if you get, uh, so if if you had hundred, then I would say all our customers are rating us nine or ten. There are some some that still rate us, you know, five, six, or seven. Uh, or six, it would probably mean you have one customer, and that's your mother. So, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's true. That actually, I, you know, the funny thing is, my mother does actually has been tracking. Uh, she tracks our Facebook page. She tracks news, and sometimes I get to hear about it from the team. Say the meeting is at two o'clock. 1.30, my mom has already messaged me. Did you know this happened? I'm like, uh, oh. I know, of course I know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Mom's but I think you gave, a, you gave a very nice teaser there earlier, which, which I actually wanted to come back to, which is related to not having revenue in the first three and a half years. Yeah. And then I actually wanted to tie that a bit to your fundraising journey. Like, how, do, how did that whole interplay work with getting investors to support you you had fantastic backers you know founders fund sequoia and warburg pincus in the latest round um you know how did you manage to convince uh the investors when about your vision when you didn't have any kind of hard figures to show for it end of the day i guess and you know uh how did that fundraising journey go so it was a big struggle actually in the beginning, it was a, it was a, I expected fundraise to be tough, but I think the first couple of years were really hard. Partly because people thought and still think of telco as a sunset industry. And they would say, can you do delivery by drones, for example? And I'm like, no, no, I don't, that's none of, that's not going to help with transparency or control or delight. I mean, it adds a nice PR story to it that, you mm-hmm. know, Circles delivers SIM cards through mm-hmm. drones. Mm-hmm. But you know what? You'll be surprised. We would have gotten funded in an hour maybe. You know, hey, this company does, you know, back in the day, early 2000s, if someone said, yeah. uh, you just add a dot .com to your name and, mm. you know, share price would double. It was one of those kind of weird things. So it was a bit of a struggle initially. And we uh, did not actually in the first year and a half go for 
the the greatest technology investors like sequoia mm-hmm. or uh, some of the more prominent names like Fa- Fa- no, sequoia founders fund warburg pinkus we did not we started actually with folks who had previously made money in telco mm-hmm. so our first round was of course friends and family which was uh, people who knew us for a while and that was relatively easy but the you know real outside money is where we struggled and we got the first round from folks such as uh, the ones behind first pacific and they mm-hmm. were the investors in pldt in philippines yeah. ran many businesses in indonesia and they understood that if done right this business actually holds a lot of potential because telco as an industry is a 5 trillion dollar industry worldwide so even if you not to say you know do 5 trillion times x percent you know that would be a stupid way to talk about it but <laughs> the point is it's a big industry and it's not done right and people who made money from it before they can truly understand what it takes uh, to make it happen mm-hmm. and uh, i guess they were uh, brave enough to back us up and uh, generous i should say to back us up and with that the uh, and we also aligned them that we will not make revenue for some time to come which i think is very hard to do actually if you go after the non traditional um if you went after the standard venture capital firm you might get pushed into launching something because you fail fast or for example uh don't worry about the product being perfect and all of those kind of you know the truisms that get thrown around a lot would have been applied to us they were not applied which i think was critical for this to work at least in southeast asia like i find that vcs are sort of almost overtly focused on sort of financial metrics uh, in silicon valley like uh, but even then i would say even the silicon valley ones would not have been right for us because they might have said look launch your product quickly don't worry about it being perfect like this is one of those things yeah, yeah, you could see everywhere for right? sure for sure and i don't think that it works for some industries it doesn't work for some and having that distinction and that clarity of thought is not easy for a lot of people to have so, so for us some, some kind of deep tech type uh actually characteristics of your business where in the beginning you need to spend a lot of time actually perfecting your product before you launch it, actually right? there are three things which made it a little bit challenging i think there's a deep tech part of it which is truly understanding you know how to build the technology part so that was one the second part was it's a very heavily regulated uh, uh, industry so you can't just launch something and your sim card doesn't get delivered for example or it gets you know your sim card gets delivered to her and she's making phone calls to your friends yeah. for example you know what that's not it cool. <laughs> yeah that's not cool at all and this is a good scenario you know two good people their sim cards get exchanged you change in the system you're done it ha- gets in the hands of the wrong parties your sim card can be used to do a lot of damage and i shall not go into what kind of damage yep. but i think we all <laughs> of course right? of course don't advise people on yeah. that and then the third is of course there's a heavy operations element to this business unlike say a completely digital so uh, difference between us and a netflix would be there is a physical handshake with the sim card yep mm. so those three things actually made it kind of difficult to say let me launch with something which is not necessarily perfect or could be you know uh let's see what happens yeah. you couldn't go yeah. in with that approach you have to have a and to have the investors who knew that it's going to be this was very important so we spent a lot of time getting money was not hard i guess getting the right money was very hard and okay. that took us a long time are you by the way worried about competition in the future when e-sims are broadly enabled that you know there's going to be the next wave of uh, even quote unquote even more digitally you know enabled disruptor to attack circles and other players Not at all. In fact, we see that as an opportunity. Uh, I would have been more concerned if you're seventy, eighty percent of the market, and then you know anyone who comes in eats share from us. We are very far from that. Uh, we are still in the five to ten percent market share range, and uh, this market is like iPhones back in two thousand four, where you have only five, seven percent of the market using it, but now ninety percent of the people. You know, adjacently, it's kind of the market share. of that segment increases and we are a big chunk of that segment so okay. i'm i'm actually so a lot of cake to eat for several players basically and we would love to see more innovation look we still remain true to our foundations around giving mm. power back to customers so mm. we have three missions one of them is power back to customers which flows into these three things that you wrote down earlier <laughs> so transparency you know all of those things are just ways to give power back to customer so as long as power is being given to the customers and we are the conduit for it good if you're not then you know what we suck and if we suck we have to improve and i'd rather have that than to have no no power to customers so one more thing on the future telco like just uh, like who's going to build the infra if uh, a lot of new you know digital only players come in and eat a lot of shares from the you know traditional players because you know telco is like uh, traditional telco was like your power utility you know you 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 build an infrastructure then you have captive customers you charge them money like it's heavily regulated like you said 
But now if, if let's say, uh, you and new fully digital operators who don't have any assets um, or physical assets, I mean, uh, own like 40% of the market and the, then the, the guys holding the intro will not make any money. So like what's going what's gonna to happen? So to look, the industry could take one of the following two or three routes. I think one is uh, either it becomes like a utility where the folks who run the towers and spectrum, they run uh, a utility-like business with and expecting returns of that kind. And utilities don't need to have the 20-30% return on uh, invested capital or return on equity that you sometimes see from telcos. They, they might be happier with 7-8% and it, it, that may attract a very different kind of investors into those businesses. Yeah. And all the innovation could sit on top where, uh, you know, we are doing a certain kind of telco. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a, tomorrow someone will come and do something on industrial automation, for example. And it's all about industrial automation, 5G-linked, only industrial mm-hmm. automation. You know what? They may be much better placed than the infrastructure owner or even us for that matter. I would love to say, you know, we, we, right now we may be number one globally when it comes to telco technology, but in the future, someone else might be better for that particular sliver of, of the market, which mm. may not be so good at. Mm. So my, my view, so that's one way in which the industry could evolve. The second yep. way is where these uh, infrastructure owners also become innovators on the technology side, which I think is a less likely route, but could happen. Because we haven't seen that play out in the in the movie business, in the hotel business, or in uh, uh, I mean, you name it, right? In the taxi business, it's not worked out. Uh, wherever you see the asset owners are too used to owning assets and not technology, and I think the reason is they were never technology people. They were mm-hmm. always operations, marketing, customer service people, and yep. they just they sometimes did a good job, only until technology started to get in the way, mm-hmm. and yeah. they would outsource that to someone. We're so not basically doing, yeah. increase specialization if... if Potentially. If so I think those are two potential routes. I think there are some really good telcos that may actually be able to turn the page and get to that side. But a lot of them would become infrastructure owners. Yep. And then some would just become investors into companies uh, where they don't believe they need to own mm. these... Uh, they, they, they will own the assets, but they will they'll diversify their exposure through... Uh, investing in anyone who sits on their network, people like right. that. So okay. I think those are two, three ways in which this could evolve. And finally, I think right now there's a problem. There are three sets in the case of Singapore. There are three sets of infrastructure owners, three sets of towers, three people owning uh, Spectrum. Makes no sense. And I'll tell you why. It's like having an, a highway from here to the Changi Airport not one highway, but three highways, exactly yep. the yeah. same. Yep. Yep. Makes yep. no sense. Right? With the specialization, so, probably need one. So one, one. final <laughs> question. Please, uh, one final. It's so, it's so, so I, niche. I'm just it's curious. Um, <laughs> you know, Telco has a lot of uh, governmental ownership. Has the discussion with regulators been easy? Like uh, basically going there and saying, hey, I want to disrupt, uh, you know, this space that uh, the government owns a large chunk of. So has it, has it been easy to, you know, get regulators on board? So we're, we're in a few countries now. We're in Singapore, Taiwan, Australia, and looking at a couple more. So I think the conversation is always different depending on which country you're in. We started in Singapore, and Singapore is a place where uh, on, on a regular basis, actually, uh, the government as well as the country gets rated as the number one most competitive place to, uh, on the competitiveness index, it's rated number one. And I would say the government has been spectacular. I mean, they have been, and the regulator has been spectacular. They have been all about innovation. They have all they have all been about how do we make it better for customers, and hence the ownership thing. At least we have not seen it play out at all. Yeah. So it's it's. I could say if we had to start in a place, Singapore was perfect. You know, <laughs> regulator are, are are very are mature as well as are doing the job regulators should do. The government believes in competition and wants to promote innovation. At a time when Block 71, you know, folks like yeah. yourselves were actually getting set up. Great time. 4G penetration is high. Smartphone penetration is high. Digital savvy customers are the highest amongst the world in, in Singapore. You know, couldn't be a better place to start. So I think there was a little bit of that. Actually. But you've also been quite open with uh, your letters and your marketing strategies directly to the, you know, the monopolies here. So that's why I wanted to ask you about your, you have pretty bold marketing tactics you know how do you you know what's behind the strategy that you, you behind do? the bold bold marketing i think uh, i think the point is simply to say look the little guy which is us should not fear if your mission is is grand enough if your heart is in the right place and you're going to give power back to the people go for it be unafraid and make yourself be known 
I think that's kind of, and if that comes with, you know, of course we are slightly edgy. I think we are, there's a certain segment we're going after and uh, our, our, our customer segment loves it. Uh, and you know what? Uh, as long as you're saying the truth, we are, we are right. We should talk about it. Let's just shout about how good we are from mountaintops if we have to. Look, uh, every campaign is unique. And I think at the end of the day, we want to be, we want to move with the times. We want to move with what's happening. And uh, this is the benefit of being small and nimble where you don't have to have a big marketing team that takes two months of ideation, one month of working with an external agency, then goes to finance and the (laughs) chief financial officer is fighting with the chief marketing officer because Uh, there's there's politics going on. Oh my God, you're describing my former corporate life. I'm getting a nervous outbreak. (laughs) But you know what I mean, right? I mean, four months later when the whole coronavirus thing is over, uh, you know, they'll come up with something. Now it's approved. Yeah. Yeah. But the outbreak is... (laughs) And that is actually the issue with telcos. Because their product changes or what, you know, whatever was needed by the customers used to come at such slow pace. It was nothing compared to an Uber or mm. nothing compared to, yeah. But I have a question on that, by the way. Yeah. How are we going to make sure that will, that, that same thing will not happen at Circles? You know, given you're growing, you're already, I don't know how many people you have. We have yeah. about 400 plus 400 people. 400 plus yeah. people. Like at some point, you're going to have the scale, you know, where you know, traditional corporates, traditional telcos typically run into these issues. How are you going to make sure that doesn't happen at Circle? I think it's very much a question of uh, uh, culture. It's a question of how decision making should be done. And it's a question of how true you hold yourself to the missions that you set out for the organization, the vision mm. and the missions. And I guess that kind of links to the culture a little bit. Uh, at the end of the day, we we talk about power back to customers. I hear that back from my employees mm-hmm. at least once or twice a week. Yep. Now imagine people put their missions up on the wall and they forget yep. about it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, mm-hmm. after a while, no one even knows what those are. But if I don't hear it back at least once a month, once a week, sorry, I, we actually say something is wrong. So that that power back to customers must mean a few things. How does that translate into speed, for example? It must mean your products are the most desired are the most relevant you're doing things at a fast enough pace so there's a little bit of that that's built in just top down just in terms of what Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. if you're going to be a part of this organization uh this is what it means Mm -hmm. you must have strong orientation towards customers and that's that's one part and second when it comes to how the culture plays out it there are many ways in which it does for example what you reward as good behavior what you actually hold up as as the model employee and what they're supposed to do and we are very conscious of doing that Mm. and third decision making we've made the decision making more more and more around faster iterations we have uh, products come out every six weeks if they are major products and if they are relatively small changes they come out every three weeks and if it's like a small tweak can even come out once a week that is unthinkable in a in a big telco. So I think we've made it yeah. a part of how we actually run the organization. Yeah. So it's no, nimble, I mean, it's quick uh, turnaround. That's right. Yeah. So it's I a mean, nimble, quick turnaround, very much power culture, decision-making, all of those things. Yeah. You know, at, at Antler, top value is founders first. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, it needs to be something that actually guides everyday decision-making. So whenever you have a trade-off in mind, you have to say, is this great for the founders in our programs, in our portfolio companies? And if the answer is yes, you need to go with it. So always avoid the bureaucracy. Uh, but by the way, you mentioned that um, Sunday is a fairly regular like working day for you, as I suppose is Saturday. And, uh, you know, it's Actually, not a it's not There's a no way, there's no day or yeah. time when it's not working day. Yep, and exactly. I think, uh, uh, yeah, but yeah. I mean, so, I'm sure so that's my, so, for most yeah, founders. Yeah, so but my question to you is, I didn't get to that part, is... is what are you actually doing as a founder in the company? So, so, so I'm quite curious. You're three founders. You have scale. Um, what do you guys actually get involved in? Because, uh, like, I, 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 I'll be, I'll be blunt, right? I'm thinking: Are you involved in too many things? Like empowerment versus uh, big hotshot founder involvement? They can be in conflict. Like, how does it work? I think um, that's an interesting question. I think uh, apart from giving podcasts, which I do. (laughs) uh, No, but on a serious note, I think think we are at a point where it's still quite deep involvement from the founders. Mm. And uh, the question is, how do you balance that between empowering and yet, uh, and when you're growing very, very quickly, that's where culture can start to break on the edges. And that's when, and we've grown very quickly in the yeah. last two years. We were like 80 yeah, people to like 200 people to 400 plus. As that happens, you you have to be 
sometimes in the trenches, sometimes you're standing up on a tower, like, you know, almost like a war general, you're looking at the broader picture. And once in a while, if you need to go down there and start shooting yourself, you do that. But the how that happens progressively, I think that needs to change. You, one needs to become a lot more about managing teams and working through people. So I think that's the big change or transformation that's happened in the last three years. So three years ago, uh, I would actually know down to customer issues. So if there were five customers who were unhappy with us on a particular day and they wrote a long email, I would have gone through all five emails. I would know where the system broke down. I would know the solution to it. And I would know mm. what the process had to be to, to change it. Now, so progressively, how this particular thing yeah. has changed is along the way you realize that I can do it when it's five, but when it gets to 50, it's a problem. So first of all, it shouldn't get to 50 is the first, <laughs> first point, but it you know, will get to 50, like when you have scale. <laughs> yeah. I mean, exactly. So someone else should have that mindset to be able to look yeah. at it with the same way that I would. Mm. And when they look at it, they should do what I would have done mm. or sometimes even better mm. and ideally better because mm. I'm not a subject matter expert on this. Yeah. I'm applying first principles logic. But someone should come in there and say, look, we, this is the way to look at it. And that's yeah. where culture plays a big role, where yeah, you say exactly. they must think. Uh, and that's where uh, your founder kind of footprint is all over the organization yeah. in the way you, you, you kind of structure the culture around this. So you mm. trust them, you, they, Correct. and on a macro level, you've taught them like, and, and you don't get involved. Correct. And then you have, you have checks and balances in place where you, you may ask a question. All right. I'm not going to be there, but what is the right question to ask? Five emails would show up like this on a daily basis when I had, say, 50,000 subscribers. When I have a million subscribers, it should, should it scale to 100 because that's proportionate? Mm -hmm. Or you could say, no, that shouldn't because we should improve over mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. So those should reduce. So maybe we should see 30 of those, for mm -hmm. example. Then you were to put that as a metric, for example. And then you start to see, does that corroborate with other metrics you may have around net promoter score? Is your cost of acquiring customers reducing? Is the word of mouth increasing? Is the organic visits to your websites increasing because if these people are unhappy, they're most likely going to talk about it. And you've got to make sure that they're not so unhappy. So, you know, there are many ways in which you put metrics and systems in place and then you figure out, all right, in order to do this, I must uh, empower someone else to do this exactly like this. And guess what? Give them more empowerment to say, all I want, and that's the third stage. The second stage, empowering someone to do. Third stage is to say, uh, you don't even have to tell me what you're doing. All I will care about is this end metric. So in the okay. second stage, you're saying, tell me that you're doing it. Third stage is... You show do, me. Yeah, show me the answer. And the fourth stage is you actually don't... You stop looking at it okay. because you actually know that this is going to happen because they, they believe in this. So this has been a journey for us. And now we're at a point where the level uh, that reports into founders is doing all of that. And I don't look at the letters. But every once in a while, like on a Sunday, I might you know, I have a special inbox where all these letters come, <laughs> by the way. Where you open it, sometimes I'll just call some of these customers. Just to still... So this is the at the fourth stage, what, what the mistake I've seen many people make is they lose touch with what the customers are feeling. The real... Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then what you got to do is once in a while, I would just call these customers myself and just listen to them and talk to them. And sometimes all they wanted was to be able to talk to someone. Uh, talk to someone in the sense, you know, just express their grievance, yeah. right? And then you come to an all right, this must have broken down in the system. This is what I need to change. So, you know. You said about the, the culture, like you don't have um, titles. Yeah. Why is that? I mean, do, do, doesn't like... Since all three of you are founders, the CEO usually is the one to inspire, set the vision. You know, why, why, why do you have that where you don't have titles now? So look, I think uh, before we started the podcast, you might also recall I was saying uh, we try not to be on uh, big stages too much and we don't try to, uh, you know, the, the usual. So what's, what we've noticed that's happened in the startup world is that there's a lot of showboating. There's a little bit of like, you know, uh, founders being gifts of god and you know stuff like that which we which is directly against our values mm -hmm. as well as our missions personally which we've now embedded into the culture of the company there are three missions actually power back to customers uh you know the third one is actually great place to work and grow and the second one is uh, more around building a you know a personalized digital service which is the best in the world okay. but the third one great place to work and grow these are three missions and within those as you as you start to look at the values that sit underneath that uh there are things which would prevent us from so no one person is actually greater than the team is is kind of one of those it's a very team effort everything is and it has to be look i think you look at any big company 
anything under the sun. People talk about Steve Jobs being this great entrepreneur or a great business person. The reality is he would not have managed to do it without a great team. We hear about, uh, you know, how Mark Zuckerberg came up with the first version of Facebook. But the truth is he probably managed to inspire a team to work in a certain way. So hence, having no uh, heroes and uh, having a system where people feel they can speak up and talk about anything, no matter how complicated a topic it is, how touchy a topic it is, was very important. And even amongst us founders, we challenge ourselves a lot. There's no such thing as you can't ask a certain question or that, you know, none of that. Like there's no one is above mm. uh, our missions and our vision actually are the most important things. And at some point of time, if I become an irrelevant person in order to meet those missions or visions, that vision, then I, I should be able to step aside. I think that's the mindset with which you operate. And that's how you can have frank conversations with people. Mm. What's the biggest uh, founder conflict you've had? Meaning like amongst you three? I think it's evolved over time. I think uh, the kind of conflicts one has and the way the way the conflict plays out, I think it evolves over time. I think back in the year 2013, 14, we used to talk a lot more about the direction that we should take. And uh, I wouldn't use the word conflict. I would use the word um, more of uh, how we challenged each other was more on what the business direction should be. Mm. And, you know, on one hand, you could say, is telco the right thing to do? Or uh, why not start an app? Because you can launch in the market faster. You know, three years, who's seen three years? What happens in the next two years? Now, look at this. This coronavirus situation mm -hmm. has happened, right? Any business can go down. And we, you could say we got a little lucky that there was nothing of that magnitude that happened that was so negative. But imagine. So, you know, we would push ourselves from that perspective. So, I think that was one. Um, and uh, we thought about conflict or difference of opinion resolution to be based purely on facts and without anyone pulling hierarchy, not just even amongst founders, but even with the, with the leadership team. It mm -hmm. should be based on logic. And there were times when we tried to be democratic, which also actually has its own challenges because in the process sometimes... So the reason why democracy goes wrong is if people are not aligned with you culturally mm -hmm. and then they'll make decisions which are not aligned with, with what is right. So... It's evolved over time. But I think uh, business direction being the first one, which countries we should go to was another thing that we often discuss. Should we expand in the region? So should we do Malaysia first and then Philippines, Indonesia? Or should we go Taiwan, Australia, further away? Yeah. Right? So you've chosen Taiwan, Australia. Taiwan, Australia. Like, and we, we thought about where the segments would be right for us. So that's, that's another debate that often came up. How big should the organization be? How to measure the organization? What should the operating model be? Should you have a full team sitting in Australia yeah. and Taiwan? Or should you have a lean team? And then when they grow, then you grow the teams. So the, our, our discussions and debates have, have largely been around business direction. I think it helps that we have all been friends for more than two, coming to two decades now, actually. Okay, one in 15 years plus, right? That's a long history. Like no amount of, uh, I mean, there, there's nothing much that surprises me about my co-founders from the point of view of, you know, why is he doing this? No, that doesn't come up. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, and I think mm -hmm. that, that, so actually I'm putting a structure to this now. I guess, uh, being the consultant. It's a true McKinsey consultant. Yeah, true McKinsey yeah, consultant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now he's gone. So I think any strong relationship needs to have a strong bedrock of trust. And that trust, I think we were lucky to have built over the previous five, 10 years of knowing each other and having seen each other in different situations. So I think that was very helpful. And when you have that much trust, then then discussions are less about you and me. The discussions are about the decision that has to be made. Mm. And those kind of debates are very healthy, uh, you know, because, you know, you're aligned and, you know. And you're generally a very mission-driven We are, actually. It's very, very mission-driven. I think it's, uh, that's, uh, so that, uh, that's one common thing to, to go after as well, yeah. I want to ask you, you know, like you've, you've had a journey with your uh, founders and with your company grown tremendously. Uh, if there's one thing you could have changed from the past, what would it be and why? I think a few things actually. Uh, and it's hard to say which one. I think one, uh, my own trajectory as a leader, like I, I wish I had gotten more feedback and earlier. And sometimes life teaches you lessons in a certain way. And I wish I had grown faster because the pace at which the leaders grow kind of ends up determining the pace at which the organization grows sometimes. I think that's the truth. And hence, sharper, faster, quicker feedback that I wish I had picked up early, I think is the one thing I would change. I came from very structured environments, private equity, 
small teams of three, four people, everyone works their butt off. Consulting again, you know, small teams of four, five people. Team dynamics, people are very, very similar, uh, naturally very driven at a similar stage in life. Mm-hmm. And they are broadly speaking sorted financially. I think that's a very, that's a, that's the system that's designed for people to focus 100% on work while startup life is very different and teams are bigger and, uh, multidimensional in the sense, you know, technology team works very differently from a consulting or private equity shop or marketing teams think very differently from technology teams and just that diversity. So I think just having, I wish I had learned some of those things faster. And I'd say that to myself every day. What am I learning today and what are the mistakes I'm making today? How do I get better? And I think one has to keep pushing. So I think that's just me. You could have asked me this even outside of circles, by the way. I would have said the same <laughs> thing, but I think that's one. Um, second is, uh, I wish we had gone uh, to another country uh, one year earlier. Because I think going international requires uh, a complete rethink of how you think about organi- managing the organization, uh, and I think we would have learned much more by now, uh, which, but that's true for anything. But, you know, like that, that's another thing I would have changed. Your growth has been tremendous. I just got to say, I've been in Singapore for two years. Um, early on, someone mentioned Circles Life and I thought, what is that? And then you've like announced like, uh, three funding rounds and grew like, grew like, grown like crazy since. So very impressive. And, uh, folks out there, like, uh, it's not a, picnic to be founder we always talk about the lifestyle entrepreneurs and here's a man who's seven years into his journey super successful and uh every day is a working day and all that so remember if you embark on this journey like it's not a short term it's a short term thing and especially when you have a circus life t-shirt which has a unicorn on it no 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 what is oh that is a unicorn (laughs) yeah yeah, no this is just a a team thing i guess uh people put whatever they have to actually we don't believe You'll be surprised. The Sequoia uh, investment came uh, earlier than we announced. We actually held back on it for some time. And simply because um, we don't believe that success of a business or, a, or or an organization is what I should say. Success of an organization should be measured by these metrics. By funding it's, rounds. By yeah. funding rounds or by even, I would, I would, if one had to be even more aspirational, you might say it shouldn't even be measured by month on month revenue. It should be measured over the long term. And in that period of time, the, are you holding true to your vision, to your missions? And are you delivering that in a, in a sustainable way? I think if you can do that, my sense is none of this matters because tomorrow world markets will go down. People will value businesses less. And what are you going to do then? Are you, you know, are you going to say, uh, if you start to measure your self worth from, from fundraising, you can very quickly get mm-hmm. into a negative loop or you can be overly euphoric, which is also problematic because your decisions will then flow from there. Yeah, I agree. Like people have uh, congratulated me uh, over the early this year, and then I didn't even realize what they're congratulating me on. And then it was actually about f- uh, announcements of well, yeah, you funding because we raised which were yeah. oh, right, which right, were right, old news and yeah. not so important. Well, no, very very important. I think Singapore uh, system as well as the region actually needs more people like you. I think uh, you, you, I wish Antler was around back in the day when we started. There was nobody. <laughs> and, you know, we were figuring it out on our own. And, uh, you know, hiring was a problem. Uh, so many things that you guys talk about here, uh, you know, we even had to learn. I remember, okay, how do you do this? We'd go into Y Combinator's website and then we'd find a YouTube video. We'd share it with the founder. Hey, did you know that this is how it could be done? You know? <laughs> and here you are, you know, wow. you're collating all of that and you're putting the best brains together. I think it's great. Uh, I really think there's a lot of uh, positivity that gets created with this. And I'm personally very hopeful for the next set of entrepreneurs to come out of Singapore. Great. Thank yeah. you. But yeah. you figured it out. So. No, not really. You know, here's the thing. There's a long way ahead. Like, I, I really do believe that if we do think, uh, and this box that I was talking about, we've created, it sits in the cloud and all that. It actually delivers a few things which apply worldwide. And this is the thing, uh, it, not just great net promoter score, it cuts down the cost of running the business by a good 90 to 95%. And here's a question I have for you. If today I told you that I can build this table at one-tenth the cost compared to the rest of the world, the next best in the world, and deliver better outcome for customers, you have every reason to believe that this should become the globally number one table, right? So this telco thing is, is, is a $5 trillion market. We have a long way ahead. I think we are half a step in a thousand step journey. So I think success, I will feel successful when those thousand steps are done. 
till then we are just learning and we are just trying to grow and we are just trying to improve as individuals and you know there's there's a long way ahead right now so mm-hmm. we, there please there's very far from the word success so far okay i have one final personal question from my side uh, uh, yeah yeah <laughs> no so your partner is also a founder an entrepreneur how does that work oh right that yeah. my girlfriend is a founder yeah. entrepreneur yeah. so uh, so Do you ever see her Yeah, every day like we we I mean we live together. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so that, so that sleep makes, next to each other but uh. Yeah, yeah, well uh, she's on her phone when she falls asleep no no I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> actually we are uh, we are very I, I think it's I'm pers- I personally enjoyed that a lot actually. The fact that you come home and there's a person who kind of understands your story exactly and by the way she was in consulting uh, and then she was in private equity oh. and then she is so it could, <laughs> Sounds so that, familiar. So you're basically <laughs> married. No, no, you're, you're together with yourself. Yeah, the, which means I, we must have the same blind spots as well. So, yeah, you know, we are yeah. very mindful of that. But we are very different people. Uh, and it works out really well. Like she understands what's going on and I understand her, cha- I understand her challenges. And sometimes we brainstorm. It's very helpful to actually solve those things together. Um, including, you know, how to think about personal growth uh, for me. And because she can truly be someone who's observing from the side and i do believe in personal growth a lot and she's someone who's who believes in providing a lot of feedback so i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> back to the oh, mckinsey torture chamber yeah. with the feedback <laughs> but yeah my, my 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 uh my wife is a teacher so it's such a different world so oh, I, really? in some sense i envy you <laughs> That's great. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, that was a great conversation and so many takeaways and I think for me the biggest takeaway from music you, like, you are the humility that you have. Well, <laughs> you should say that the day we actually achieve something and then I continue to behave this way. I'll be yeah. very far from that. So, but in the meantime, <laughs> I just want to say you guys are super warm. I just really love the conversation thank and would you. love to help out however I can. Who would you like to see on this podcast next? We're we're, we're going to lazy so resourcing candidates uh-huh. for yeah. guests. Uh, Interesting. Um Let's see. I think we should get someone who has built uh, a social enterprise, or maybe perhaps a woman founder. I think that would be helpful because yes. there's a lot of very capable women, mm. and I feel like women face this uphill challenge, and it's it's it really is very hard to relate to it until you actually are sitting next to a, a woman founder every day. And I do write, so and you, you you hear about all sorts of challenges. Yeah, maybe we should have waging. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Yeah, yeah, if you wanted to come come on the yeah. Platform. Well, we have Roshni, Mahtani, Asian Parent. We have Rachel Lim, Love Benita. We have Jillian T, Homage coming soon. So we're going to... Okay, yeah, something. I look forward to that. Looks looks like I should be listening into this a lot more. <laughs> perfect, yeah, yeah. perfect. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Abhishek. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Cheers. You have been listening to the Antler VC cast with UC Salavera and me, Pooja Parwani. To know more about Antler, our portfolio companies and our philosophy, visit us at www.antler.co or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook at Antler Global. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.